And so you can see the sermon outline today is about the day of the Lord that the Bible tells us will come like a thief in the night. A new day called the day of the Lord is going to come and it's described in scripture as a day of great blessing and it's described in scripture as a day of great horror. And if we're not living in the time frame described in this chapter, we're certainly living on the threshold of that time frame. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are continuing our series entitled God's Prophetic Schedule. The Bible teaches that Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, and he is coming back again to judge the living and the dead. Today's sermon is about the day of the Lord which the Bible tells us is going to come like a thief in the night. We will be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let's join Pastor Carl as he begins. Take God's word with you this morning and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you are joining us for the first time, we recently completed the prophet Jonah. And so we are between expositions of entire books. And right now I am doing a 15-week series, at least That's what I projected could go longer on God's prophetic schedule. And so you can see the sermon outline today is about the day of the Lord that the Bible tells us will come like a thief in the night. A new day called the day of the Lord is going to come and it's described in scripture as a day of great blessing and it's described in scripture as a day of great horror. And if we're not living in the time frame described in this chapter, we're certainly living on the threshold of that time frame. So many of the pieces of the puzzle that scripture predicts are coming true in our life. It's pretty amazing that many listening today, during our lifetime, we have witnessed the rebirth of the nation of Israel. We've seen the rise of Russia to a status of a world power there, especially in terms of the Middle East, something scripture predicts as we recently studied as we dealt with Ezekiel 38, the war of Gog and Magog. Many sitting here today have witnessed the resurgence of militant Islam. You've seen the upsurge of a sodomite society that is now covering the planet, and we are witnessing a certain political, economic, and moral bankruptcy that seems to grow with every decade that comes. And so it's all predicted in scripture. It's like one big jigsaw puzzle and God is putting the pieces together. Now the time period that we are studying today is given many titles. It's called the Great Tribulation. It's called the Time of Jacob's Trouble. It's called the Day of the Lord. Listen to how John describes this time frame in Revelation chapter 16. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. That's the unholy trinity. The dragon in that chapter is Satan. The beast is his coming antichrist and the false prophet. He is the one who will point men to the antichrist. And so coming out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great God, for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Notice the final words in that verse. The great day of God the Almighty. It's one of many titles given to this time frame called the day 
of the Lord. The Bible teaches that Jesus was crucified, buried, raised from the dead. He walked on the earth for 40 days. He ascended into heaven. And he is coming back again to judge the living and the dead. But his physical return to the earth will be preceded by an absolutely terrible and horrible time like the world has never, ever seen before. Jesus said this in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will again. And if those days had not been cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. He's describing something that is very serious, very unique, that has never happened in all of human history. In fact, when he described this period to the church at Philadelphia, he said it is a time of testing to come upon the whole world. There has never been a time of testing that has come upon the whole world, but it is coming. It is in front of us. It's called the great day of God, the Almighty. And as you study it, it is not only a time of great darkness, it is also a time of great blessing. In the time of blessing, John will unfold later in the Revelation in the 19th chapter when Jesus will physically, literally return to the earth. He'll rule and reign for a thousand years. And we'll study that in the months ahead. But until that time, God is setting the stage for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to come back, that he will indeed rule, and he'll rule with great might. And of course, during that time, uh, God will use, uh, prior to that, this time of the tribulation to bring the Jewish people to Christ and to bring those Gentiles who have never heard the gospel before in power, in authority, in clarity, the first chance to receive Christ. Those who have heard it before will have no such chance. But those who have not heard it will have their first and final chance during this time called the day of the Lord. And at the end of the day of the Lord, God will then... Uh, create a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem where your loved ones are today if they know Jesus as Savior. It will literally, physically, actually descend from heaven and sit on a new planet and we will enjoy eternity with the Lord in that place. So just as a new day is coming called the great day of God that will be a time of great blessing, it will be a time of immense horror. Now, if you're new to the Bible, and even if you're just a casual reader of Scripture, you cannot miss the fact that a central theme of Scripture is the return of Jesus from heaven. And you would expect that to be the case because Jesus is about salvation. His name means salvation. And he is going to come back someday to complete our salvation. It has been paid for in full, but it has not yet been completed. We are not yet in our resurrected bodies when we will become as he is. And so we're looking forward to that day. And so it's not surprising that all the way through Scripture, the return of Christ is predicted, not to mention John will write in Revelation 19 and verse 10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He's reminding us that the very nature, spirit, and sum of prophecy is to testify to the Lord Jesus. And so the final words that Jesus speaks in the Revelation is, yes, I am coming quickly to which the Apostle John says, Amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. And so this morning, we want to examine this time frame. It's one of 15 messages, 15 different pieces of the puzzle that we're going to look at. 
in this series, and it concerns the day of the Lord. Now, there are many passages in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that describe this coming day. But we're going to focus this morning on one central passage that addresses this issue. I hope you have found it by now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Follow along with me, beginning now in verse 1. Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should, would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. I suppose there are two distinct issues that come up over and over and over again that the people of this world and believers are often fascinated by and sometimes perplexed by. The first relates to what happens after you die, and the second concerns what happens at the end of the world, as an unbelieving world often describes the end of the world. Of course, the Bible never speaks of the end of the world. It speaks of our moving from age to age, from one age to another. And certainly this planet will someday end, and God will create a new heaven and a new earth. But the world will never quote-unquote end. We will just move from one age into another. Now, if you're here in our study of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul addressed that first important critical question, what happens when we die? And some of the church at Thessalonica were ignorant. They were uninformed about what would unfold when Jesus came back. They knew that they would be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. What they did not understand concerned those saints, those brethren, those loved ones who had already died. Would they be raised at the end of the great tribulation period? Would they be raised at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ? What role would they have in the coming kingdom of God? Precisely when would their loved ones be raised? Now, I know that the Bible is brand new to many of you. We have a few hundred new believers since COVID began. In eschatology, that is eschatos, last things, the study of last things is a brand new topic to many of you. And sadly, we live in a day where Bible prophecy is largely ignored. So let me just see if I can give kind of an overview, but I think will help us all. Here's a chart unfolding the premillennial view of Christ. Millennial means thousand. And so the concept that Messiah is going to come back and rule and reign on the earth, we prayed in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is not a New Testament concept. That's unfolded in the Old Testament. What's unique to the New Testament is the length of the kingdom that it is a thousand years long. And so when we speak of the premillennial return of Jesus, we're saying his second coming will happen before his thousand year reign. So let me give a broad picture. Right now we are in the church age. That is Christ is building his church. He promised to do that. 
How long will he build his church? We don't know. But we know that when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, when the last Gentile who is going to believe will believe, then the Lord will come for his bride. So there will probably be more than likely a slowdown towards the end. Instead of more and more and more and more people coming into the kingdom, it will slow down. And then God will say, there's the last one, and it could be today. Maybe someone in this service, maybe someone listening somewhere in the world today will give their heart to Jesus, and the Father will say, son, go get your bride. We call that the church age. It will be followed by the rapture, will be caught up, and then there will be a seven-plus year period known as the tribulation. And I say seven-plus years. We don't know how much time there is from the rapture till the start of the tribulation. It's not immediate. It could be weeks, days, months, possibly years, though I doubt it's years. But there will be a space of time where this one world leader will come on the scene. He'll sign a covenant with the people of Israel. And once the covenant is signed, it's unfolded for us in Daniel 9, the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, that seven-year period spoken of in both the Old and the New Testament will begin to unfold. At the end of the seven-year period, Jesus physically, literally comes back to the earth. So the rapture, the catching up of the church, and the second coming are two distinct events. We will come back with Jesus. First, he comes for his saints, then he comes back with his saints. At the second coming, Old Testament saints are raised. We're raised in the rapture of church saints, Old Testament saints at the second coming. Tribulation saints, that is those who were one to Jesus during the time of the great tribulation, who lost their heads because that will be the means of execution, the Bible teaches. They'll be raised at that moment. And those Jews and Gentiles who survive the great tribulation period, they will go into the millennial reign of Messiah in their natural bodies. So if you were here in April, we studied that next great event called the rapture. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's their answer. What will happen to our loved ones who've already died? They're the first ones to go up. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. This word caught up is one word in Greek, harpazo. And if you go into the Latin translation of the Bible, which was virtually the only translation the body of Christ read for a thousand years, it translates it with a word that gives us our word directly in the English, rapture. Now, I told you a few weeks back that if you haven't heard it already, you will. You will meet someone who will say, well, the word rapture is not found in the Bible. And they're absolutely right. But neither is the word Bible found in the Bible. <laughs> neither is the word Trinity found in the Bible or Sunday found in the Bible. But the Bible teaches the catching up of the church. We affirm the authoritative word of God, the only book God wrote. We recognize there's one God who lives in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. And we are here on the Lord's day as God commanded to gather together as his people. So it doesn't really matter what you call it. It is going to happen. Now, I need to tell you that there are some people who just say there's just one big event in the future, the second coming, and they bring together the second coming and the rapture, and they make it one event. They're called amillennialists. This is what it would look like. Amillennialism says we are in the church age, 
Christ's kingdom is right now. Well, there is a sense that's true. He's not up in heaven letting the world just go to hell, and he's not involved in it. He's very much involved. He is ruling. He is reigning. And the kingdom of God, in one sense, is in you. But that's not the literal kingdom that the Bible promises that still is yet in the future. And so they would say, oh, when the Bible speaks about tribulations, it's just those heartaches that you go through during this life. Well, no. Jesus spoke of a seven-year period, as did Daniel, as did the Revelation. In fact, he splits it into two, two, three-and-a-half-year period. It's a future time, and it's more than just trouble. In fact, it is so troubling, as Jesus just said to us, unless those days had been cut short, nobody could have survived. So for them, there's just one big event coming. It's called the second coming. There'll be one general judgment, and we'll all go to heaven, and that will be the end. Nothing could be further from the truth. But the reason they come to this conclusion is because it seems that for 1,900 years, God did nothing. And so fundamental to amillennialism is what we call replacement theology. Now stay with me. Don't glaze over. Replacement theology says that the church is the new Israel that God's done with the Jewish people. But he is not. God made an unconditional covenant to the Jewish people. And he is going to culminate human history through the Jewish people. Last week we were at the Dead Sea. And I read these words from Ezekiel 47 to the people who were with me. And it will come about, the fishermen will stand beside it. He's talking about standing behind, beside the Dead Sea. From Engedi to Enaglain, those are two cities along the Dead Sea. And there will be a place for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the Great Sea, the Mediterranean, very many. Now, if you know anything about the Dead Sea, it's six times saltier than the ocean. Absolutely nothing lives in it. And because Israel is largely being watered through the Jordan River, more and more every year, the Dead Sea is shrinking. In fact, it's shrinking about four feet a year. I explained to them when we were driving down the highway, I said the Dead Sea used to be right there, just on the other side of this road. And now you look and it's almost three quarters of a mile away. It's shrinking, 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 shrinking. But God says a day is coming when men are going to fish in it. And they'll spread their nets by it. What do you do with that? You just blow that off? No, the amillennialists will spiritualize the text. And he'll say, oh, no, 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 no. The Dead Sea, that just represents lost people who are dead in Christ. When we share the gospel and we're offering living water, we're being like fishers of men. Look, if you spiritualize and allegorize the Bible, you can make it mean whatever you want it to mean. God said what he meant. He meant precisely what he said. And every single prophecy for the first coming of Christ was literally actually fulfilled. And why he would fulfill the prophecies for the second coming would be ridiculous. And we have no freedom to come up with some system of how to interpret the Bible when God modeled in the Scripture from the first coming of Christ and through the interaction of the apostles and Jesus with Old Testament texts, how it is that we are to interpret the Scripture. You just take it at the plain reading. You've heard me say many times, when the plain sense makes good sense, you should seek no other sense, otherwise you'll come up with nonsense. And so it is sheer nonsense to deny that God is going to fulfill the promises that he made to Israel that are unfolded 
in the New Testament. So the rapture and the second coming are two distinct events. And if you just read scripture at face value, really you could come to no other conclusion. Think your way through this. At the rapture, as this chart reminds us, Christ comes in the air. Whereas at the second coming, Christ comes to the earth. We just read that we will meet the Lord in the air. But at the second coming, Jesus comes back to the earth. Listen to what the prophet Zechariah, the 14th chapter says. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move towards the north and the other half towards the south. Again, two distinct events. Not in the air, but his feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives. In fact, he'll split it in two. At the rapture, Christ comes for his people, whereas at the second coming, angels come for the lost. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. Isn't that great? He's coming for us. He's not going to send an angel for us. He is coming for us, and we're going to meet Jesus in the air. But at the second coming, God is sending his angels out to collect the lost. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 13, 41. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. This chart also indicates the difference between these two events in terms of where each group of people is taken. The rapture, we're taken to heaven. At the second coming, the lost are carried to Hades. Again, we meet the Lord in the air. And what did Jesus promise? This we say to you by the word of the Lord. Well, Jesus made this word. If I go and prepare a place for you all, come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, where is he in heaven? There we may be with him also. However, the second coming, God's angels come not to take the lost to, uh, to, to heaven, He sends his angels to take the lost to Hades. Again, Matthew 13, the Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. There'll be no unbelievers in the coming kingdom. You must be born a second time to enter the kingdom of God. The only unbelievers in the coming kingdom are those who will be born to tribulation saints. And what will he do with these unbelievers? He will throw them out into the furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said the same thing in the Olivet Discourse. Listen to these words, Matthew 24, 37. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. And among the parallels, he definitively says, then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Just like in Noah's day, the people who were taken away were carried away in judgment. Even so, unbelievers at Christ's second coming will be carried away in judgment. By the way, this has nothing to do with the rapture. Hal Lindsey came up with that. As best I can tell through my reading and study in the last 40 years, he was the first one to invent that interpretation. It totally ignores the content, and we will study it when we come to the Olivet Discourse. Luke says it this way in Luke 17. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, again in judgment. The other will be left to enter in the kingdom. And answering, they said to him, where, Lord? And he said, where the body is, there, are, there also the vultures will be gathered. Now, we live in an area where we have vultures, turkey vultures, I guess you call them. And, and when there's something dead, you know it. They're all over it. 
And Jesus' point is, much as a dead body causes vultures to gather on it, spiritually dead people are assigned to coming judgment. They are disqualified for the coming kingdom. Now, we'll discuss that in very, very careful order in the weeks ahead, if you will stay with me. So even so, when Christ returns, the righteous, those who survive the great tribulation, who become believers during that seven-year period, and by the way, it will be the greatest revival in all of human history, the church won't be here, will be gone, but God will use 144,000 Jews, two witnesses, and an angel. Why not the church? Because this is Israel's time. God will use Israel as a witness. The church is mentioned some 19 times in the first three chapters of the Revelation. From chapter 4 to 18, you don't find the church at all. Not mentioned once until the end of the book when we come back with Jesus. So people do not want to be left behind when the rapture takes place. Um, on the other hand, if you're here for the tribulation and saved, you want to be left behind for the second coming because at the second coming, unbelievers are carried away in judgment. At the rapture, Jesus comes before the hour of trial, before the hour of testing, whereas at the second coming, he comes after the hour of trial. Listen to what Jesus promised in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. He's speaking to the church at Philadelphia. He said, because you have kept the word of my perseverance... I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. We will be kept out because Jesus is coming back to get us. Now notice, he does not say, I will keep you through the hour of testing. He does not say, I'll keep you in spite of the hour of testing. He does not say, I'll keep you in the midst of the hour of testing. I will keep you ek out of the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world. That's never happened. There's never been an hour of testing on the whole world yet, but it is coming. By contrast, in Matthew chapter 25, at the end of the tribulation, we read, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This chart also helps us to see that between the two events, there are no signs for the rapture because it is imminent, whereas there are many signs for the second coming. The Lord Jesus could have returned in the Apostle John's lifetime. Could have returned in the Apostle Paul's lifetime. We who are alive, he used the first person pronoun because he lived with a sense of expectation that he could have seen it. And he was right to live with that sense of expectation because nothing has ever needed to be fulfilled since the inception of the church for Jesus to come and catch up his church. Please join us tomorrow for part two of A Thief in the Night. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program GPS-003. There is no friendship that is more important than friendship with God. It is a relationship with eternal consequences, and the greatest act of care and concern you can ever show someone is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. If you have never shared Christ with anyone, or if it's been a while since you have done so, we would like to help. Dr. Brogy has written a booklet that highlights five principles that are fundamental to having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Would you like to know God as your friend begins with a number of diagnostic questions and concludes with a presentation of the gospel message. These booklets will really simplify sharing your faith. And now we will send you 50 of these booklets as our thanks for any gift of any amount to search the scriptures. Call us today at 877-787-7478 and ask for the Would You Like to Know God as Your Friend gift pack. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.